The cinema specialist Phil and John are back. I haven't said Phil and John. That's the first time. I just realized that no. as I said it. There you go. There's your really good, clean intro. Your the <laughs> cinema specialist Phil and John are back. I should have just said the cinema specialists are back or just gotten away from it. Anyway, hopefully nobody listens to the first 20 seconds of this podcast for the remainder of time. <laughs> We're here and we are talking about Spider-Man Far From Home and Saltburn. And I have to be honest, I am stoked, stoked, stoked to talk about Saltburn. John, let me, I, I, I want to make sure I get this correct oh, no. before I turn this over to you. Just because, just because like, you know, this is, this is important. This is important. People, people need to be held accountable for their actions and you are one of those people. So where is, so here's John. So John, you watched this movie on December 22nd. I did. Yeah. And you did not tell me that I needed to immediately watch this movie because there might not be a movie more made for me than this that came out this year. I mean, what is wrong? What's up? Our friend Steve has been telling you that for like weeks now and you still didn't watch it. So that is fair. I'm not going to take all the blame here. <laughs> I don't do a podcast with Steve, though. I do a podcast with you. You're supposed to be my guy. You're supposed to help me out. I loved this movie so much. I still have the holdovers yeah. at number one for the year because the holdovers kind of hit me on a different level. But I love this movie so much. Oh, my God. What a fun ride. And... um I, I really, I just can't wait to dive into it. I don't, I don't want to spend too much time talking about how much I loved it because I got to talk about like all the great decisions that were yeah. that were made in this movie. I can't believe how polarizing mm-hmm. this movie is. Why? Let me ask you this before we get into this movie: Why is this movie polarizing, but Poor Things isn't? Because it's not about the quantity of sex in a movie; it's about what that sex is in a movie and how weird that sex is. Because we're finally entering a point, I think, in America. I mean, Canada too, to an extent, but North America in general, where I think we're getting to a point where people are more accepting of human beings as sexual beings in media, but they still don't really like weird sex things. They find it embarrassing and they don't want to talk about them. Yeah. And I mean, uh, okay. How do you say his last name for the love of God, Barry? It's just Kogan, isn't it? Is it Kogan? Okay. Uh, the K-E-O-G I, I so. thing really bothers me. But either way, so Barry in this movie is is all about the weird sex. Um, that is for sure. That's that's like his that's like his thing in this movie. And uh it keeps escalating and escalating and escalating. And like I kept waiting to get to the point where I was getting tired of it because I, I gave poor things three and a half stars, and, and I talked about how like mm. it was weird, I respected it watching this movie might have actually knocked poor things down to three stars for me. Yeah. It really might have, because this movie really capitalized on all of its opportunities. We are going to be pretty spoilery in this podcast. So if you are at this point, if you are tuned in at three and a half minutes and you are listening and you, you don't know what this movie is, it is free on Amazon prime right now. At least in the U.S., I don't know about like worldwide. But on, yeah. on yeah, in the U.S., it is free. In Canada, it is free. You can go and just watch watch Saltburn on Amazon Prime. It is a hard R-rated movie. This is a this yeah. is an R-rated movie, and it earned its R. There is there are fluids, there are graphic sexual moments, there is a lot of blood, but 
it's a beautiful movie. So like you've, you've been warned that if that's not your thing, then don't watch this movie, but we're going to be a little spoilery. So if you haven't seen it, I really recommend you just go watch it instead of listening to us talk and then come back and listen to us talk about it. Because the midpoint of this movie is one of the best midpoints in a movie I have seen in years. I am talking like, like a decade. I don't know. I'm trying to think of it because look, climax. Yes. Ending. Yes. There's always like, you can think of some really good climaxes, some really good endings that like, that are, are really good or really good openings. You know, you can think of those. What have I seen in recent years that is really good opening, even if it's not a new movie necessarily. But midpoints very rarely get talked about. One of the greatest midpoints in film history is the watch scene in um, in Pulp Fiction. Pulp because Fiction. it yeah. lets you know that the time is all messed up. People are doing what, you know, that's an amazing midpoint scene. It's, a, it's not necessarily a turning point, but it's a midpoint. People don't talk about midpoints. Although midpoints, if they're not done well, that's when a movie either falls apart or gets much better mm-hmm. than what it was, depending on how it's handled. The midpoint in this movie blew me away like blew me away to the point where i said holy shit this is not the movie i thought emerald fennel who should be nominated for best writing and best directing instead of greta gerwig i was like holy shit she is not making the movie i thought she was gonna make and i'm so impressed and i love you and thank you and good job and i'm just like my four star rating on this like i can't sit here and be like this this is the the second movie i watched in the year 2024 is going to be one of my top 100 movies. But if I watch this movie again and it hits me as hard as it did the first time, I stayed up till like 1.30 yesterday in the morning. I could not fall asleep after watching this movie. Wow. I was so freaking amped. I loved it. All right, John, you can talk. Otherwise, this is going to be a really boring podcast. Well, I, I think that I, – I said it in my letterbox review. This is the biggest F you to the upper class since Rules of the Game. Yeah, like that's the level. That's the level that we are comparing this film to. It's something like as iconic as the rules of the game, and it doesn't feel that way at first. And that's what makes it so good. Emerald Fennel has just done this fantastic job. We we saw her debut with Promising Young Woman. We talked about it when it was like nominated for Oscars and stuff like that. That is nothing in comparison to this film. Mm-hmm. This film is beyond that so much and it's it's subtle it's weird it's confusing a bit until you like really click it in i've had so many conversations with people who have watched this movie and they're all over the spectrum some people have hated it some people just absolutely love it it's something you really need to experience and we don't have a lot of films like that come out nowadays yeah, that's the that's the thing. Like, so if you go on Letterboxd, this actually has a lower rating than than Promising Young Woman, which I think is shocking. And I think I think Promising Young Woman caught a lot of people by surprise, right? People weren't mm-hmm. expecting that movie to be as good as it was. 2020 was maybe the worst year in film history. Like, and I mean that wholeheartedly. Yeah. And it's not because of the like it's not the movie's fault. It's just the fact that there weren't that many movies. So mm-hmm. When you go look at the Best Picture nominees that year, the depth isn't there. It's just not as good. I mean, Nomadland ultimately ends up winning Best Picture. In my opinion, one of the worst Best Picture winners of all time. But even if you love Nomadland, Promising Young Woman wasn't your general, oh, this is a Best Picture nominee type movie. It's not what you expect. And what's funny with, with that movie, though, 
is it was seen as like this big, like feminist conversation movie. Mm -hmm. Look what she's doing. And, and you know, whatever, it, it doesn't matter. Saltburn is exactly what Hollywood doesn't like. And that is subtle in what it's actually telling you. Cause this movie is mm -hmm. very in your face. There's no denying that this movie is insanely in your face. I mean, the bathtub scene, the surprise for Farley at night is, is very in your face. The vampire scene is very in your face. The, just the fact that they're in this monster of a castle is in your face. It is so in your face. The nerd in this movie is the most stereotypical nerd you'll ever see in your life. But the subtlety is in what it is making you feel and how it is telling you to feel and the story it is telling America Ferreira's speech in Barbie, which is for some reason garnering her an Oscar nomination and making, and people are like using that as this moment in, in history. Oh my God. Like it's the greatest speech ever written, which to me was one of the most cringeworthy moments in film in like the last 10 years is everything. This movie isn't. And the reason why America Ferrera's speech is getting so much notoriety is because it is so ridiculously on the nose. And so it's easy for the masses to understand. Saltburn is just sickening the entire time. And then when she pulls out at the midpoint, the wool over your eyes. I mean, I just never saw it coming. And all of a sudden I said, holy shit, this guy's a nut job. This guy is out of his mind. <clears throat> He is. And I mean, I think we're at a point where we really need to be talking about Barry Coogan as perhaps one of the most underrated actors of the last 10 years. I'm just, I, I hope, and, and here's my concern. This movie did not make much money. No. <laughs> Does that screw him on his upward trajectory? Because this is two phenomenal performances in a row. I mean, his, mm -hmm. his role in Banshees was incredible. Um, arguably robbed of an Oscar. I mean, Kiki Kwan was great, but you know, yeah. Harry Hogan and 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 Brendan Gleeson, in my opinion, were both better. Banshees was my favorite movie of last year, so that doesn't help. But um, I mean, uh, he was phenomenal in this movie. You feel bad for him. Yeah. You feel so bad for him, and he's so good at playing pathetic. But then, as he starts to take control. I mean, this dude's got to be this dude's got to be getting roles as a as a villain and a supporting role coming up. Like he has to. We have, I'm talking like Anton Chigurh levels of villain villainy that I I need in coming yeah. years from back. Yeah, and I, I he's fully capable of doing it too. Like he has proved it. I mean, he already kind of has that though, right? Like, I mean, you haven't seen it, Phil, but his performance in the killing of the sacred deer is so unsettling, and it mm -hmm. is just it. it it's it's very similar to the way he presents in this, where at first like he he gets all this sympathy from you. You feel like you should be sympathetic towards that character, and then you see the genius behind the character itself, mm -hmm. and he is terrifying. The way that Barry Keegan can just move his face to show this duality between him as this like meek character. Who, who needs to be coddled and supported and this evil mastermind is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, you know what it is like. So I, I think about the the part in this movie. So you see the setup, you see what's happening, you get like the 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 subtle like homosexual tendencies, and then you're getting mm-hmm. the fact though that he is like he's definitely more bisexual than anything. But by the end of this movie, I don't think he's anything. I think he's just a sociopath who would have done whatever the hell he needed. Um, but you you see the setup and you see where it's going. And based on the trailer too, I'm saying to myself, okay, it's going to be the rich people picking on the poor kid. And we're going to see the disgust, like how disgusting rich people are, you know? And like, I know like the big, the big popular phrase nowadays is eat the rich. Like, I'm not one of those people who's running around going, eat the rich, eat the rich, eat the rich. And that's what I think impressed me the most about this movie. I'm not somebody who will just like a movie because of what the messaging behind a movie is. I don't care. I mean, you could go against every single belief I've ever had while making a movie. And if it's made well and it makes me feel something, I'm going to like it. Like that's, that's the mm-hmm. insane. Like that's, that's maybe just me. Maybe a lot of people can't get there, but that's where like, this is such a mm-hmm. message that I feel like is, is really being hammered in the world right now. And it's like, I, I don't pay that much attention to this kind of stuff. So for me, it was, can they pull this off and mm-hmm. not feel preachy? And so the runny egg scene, I'm like, oh my God, like these people are such monsters that this poor guy gets an an upset stomach from runny eggs. Now they're going to be mean to him. And then you get them at the part, like before it's before the party, but you start to see how Farley is treating him and everything like that. And I'm just sitting there and I'm saying to myself, man, like this is whatever, you know, here's the typical bad story, whatever. And that's why though, this midpoint. And again, if you have not seen this movie, I'm telling you, we're going to be a little spoilery. They're coming. They're coming. The spoilers are coming. coming. It's inevitable. We have to we have to talk about them. When you meet his mother and you meet his father, and you realize, like at that point, you say, Oh my God, I feel bad for Jacob Alordi. I I feel terrible for him. Mm -hmm. He's being used by this scumbag. Like this guy is a, a terrible human being. Like, fuck this guy. I mean, that's what's going through my head, right? But then at the party, they're so mean. I can't even remember happy birthday to you. I can't even remember his name. And then <laughs> everything starts to pay off. Yep. And by the end of this movie, <laughs> oh my God, I was just, I, I could have ran through a wall. <laughs> like I could have yep. ran through a wall. And it was because of the midpoint. If that movie starts going the direction, because I'm sitting there saying to myself a lot of this movie going, where is this going? I'm really liking it, but where is it going? Where is it going? Where is it going? And then, oh, he called the mom and I said, oh, here we go. He's going to go to the house. And and here we go. That's where like the real problems are going to happen. And Emerald Fennel went the exact opposite way. And I'm telling you, no. the holdovers, is the holdovers based on a book? Uh, I, I, just so. I thought it was an original Sorry, everybody. I don't know. So I don't know what's up for, for adapted screenplay and um, – God, Jordan Offer took the night off. This is where I need him very badly because <laughs> he would just jump in and, and know. Um, all right, hang on. Let me look. Let me look. Let me look. Adapted screenplay. Oh, oh, original screenplay. The Holdovers is original. Okay. Yeah. So The Holdovers is original and Saltburn is, is also original, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's crazy to me that Saltburn is not in the discussion for uh, uh, best screen- screenplay. Because the, sc- well, the screenwriting in this movie is out of control. It is. It, it's, it's phenomenal. And it is not, but again, it, it's the subtlety of it. It's too, it's almost too intellectual for some people. And mm-hmm. like, that sounds like super elitist to say, 
but it's really interesting. Like I said, those conversations I was having with people about whether they liked it, whether they disliked it. I mentioned things like the fact when he threw the stone with his dad's name on it, it didn't land in the river. Right. Yeah. And that is foreshadowing the fact that his father isn't dead and you don't even yep. think about it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then you get that you reveal. Just he's like, oh my god! Another pathetic is... thing he can't throw. Yeah, and it's just like, oh my god, this is actually genius filmmaking and a script that is mm-hmm. so tight that they are revealing things to you at the beginning of this movie, and you would never even expect that to be a thing. Yep. Yep. Oh man, and the one that really got me, where you really start to figure out just how messed up this guy is is when they throw the stone in for Venetia and the stone for Felix isn't there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just tremendous. It's just tremendous. Yeah. I mean, God, it, it's just like, I look, I get that. It's too much for people. It's not going to get a best picture nomination. It's not, no. it's too polarizing. No. And, and right now yeah. you're talking Oppenheimer killers of the flower moon, Barbie, poor things, the holdovers, American fiction, maestro past lives, and then you're going to get something like Anatomy of a Fall, The Zone of Interest, maybe May, December. I don't think I don't think the color purple will get in there. I know you didn't like that. Spider-Man Across the Universe might get in there. So, like, I get it, but this no. th- to me this has a this has this feeling, right? This came out in 2024, so we're talking or 2023, so we're talking a little bit, like a little bit still in the in the first half of this of this decade. But yeah. I remember what really started to get me in the film. Peter Travers. I don't know how many people ever read Peter Travers. I don't know how many people read reviews anymore, honestly. Probably not many. But Peter Travers did his top 10 of the 2000s. And I remember he put Mulholland Drive, I believe it was at number one. And I hadn't seen Mulholland Drive at that time. I saw, or maybe I had, I had seen Mulholland Drive, but I wasn't really like, I was like, yeah, okay, dude. Like it hadn't really clicked in my head or maybe I hadn't seen, I forget exactly what it was. But that was when I started to realize that like, Mm, Mulholland Drive is the movie people are talking about. Mulholland Drive, after all of this, after after a whole decade, Mulholland Drive is the one that's coming up. Saltburn has that power. No matter what wins the best picture. Because I'll tell you what, Coda is already out of everybody's mind. Nomadland might as well not exist. I mean, th- those two movies, they might as well not exist. Everything, everywhere, all at once, that will stand the test of time, at least for a decade. And then maybe people will get tired of something yeah. like that. But but. Like Coda and and Nomadland are just, in my opinion, it's it's okay, great. That was that was nice. Saltburn has the potential to be that movie that all of a sudden, at the end of a decade, as people start to revisit it, they say, "Man, that was so much better than I remember." Especially as we pull ourselves away from the hype around Barbie, the hype around Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. the hype around all these other movies. As we start to pull ourselves out of the post-COVID world and we start to like reestablish this might be the movie that best captures kind of the, the, the political feelings and, and the, and yeah. the, just like the worldly feelings of a lot of the population right now. Yeah. I think it's a very <clears throat> timely movie and not in the sense that it's like really capturing the era, but that it is so entrenched with the political views of the era and the commentary of the era that mm-hmm. I think no matter your political standing, you watch this movie and you might get out different things out of it, but you're kind of forced to look at the other side while you're watching it. Yeah, because she's not being, and I know in Promising Young Woman, there was that one twist. I think it was with, um, 
uh, was it Bo Burnham or something where like, he's not who he yes. says he is or whatever it is. And so like, she like Emerald Fennel is good at doing this. Let's be real. But because she is setting you up to really feel bad for the poor guy. And then by the yep. end of it, part of you is like, okay, yes, I understand the absurdity of like generational wealth in this type of system where these people are just being born into castles where nothing except their name helped, helped them earn that. And now they're getting all the ease that they want in life at Oxford while here's poor Barry working his ass off, doing everything he can. But by the end of it, you say, man, is that really the, the result that everybody wants? Is the result that you really do want an entire family wiped out by a, a, a psychopath? I mean, this guy's a psycho. I don't know. I mean, maybe some people watched that and said, hell yeah. I mean, I will say after the movie ended, I was saying, hell yeah. I don't, I'm not saying that I loved Barry as a, as a person by the end of this movie, but man, I was, I was just so into this movie that I couldn't believe that that's where it went. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny because I, I think what we are really, talking about now is that whole essence that Emerald Pennell puts into the film of this idea of like, did um, did Ollie, Barry Coogan's character, love or hate Felix? And it's that interlaced discussion that we have the entire time that we feel is a like you know, a police interview or something like that that's going on. Like You, you kind of get this sense from the very beginning of this movie that Felix is going to die at some point and like what's going to cause it? Is it because Ollie is too obsessive with him or what. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that like his hate is manifesting his love and it's working together. And then you realize you're kind of been like Kaiser so saved the entire movie. Yeah. Which is saying something to compare this twist to one of the most notorious twists of all time. Yeah. Yeah. No, and and like, I mean, right off the bat, right, we hear him say, did I love him? And like yeah. the way he's done up and everything, you're like, okay, he is, he's talking about somebody who's dead. Everybody loved mm-hmm. him. Not everybody loves yeah. him. It was everybody loved him. So you're getting the yeah. idea of, okay, something's up. This guy died. We know it's going to be Felix, but you're thinking, is there an accident? Is something going to happen? Especially because of the way it's set up early on. It's, it can't like, you know, what's going to happen? Like, did he, did this unrequited love lead to death? Who knows? And I do think he loved him. Mm-hmm. I do. He says it about 25 yep, times in the movie. I do think he loved him. Well, I, mean, I don't think you get the bathtub scene without him loving him. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't think you get the grave scene without him loving him. No. However, I think the conflict from within Oliver Quick was he loved him. But he still felt disrespected and still at the end of the day, mm-hmm. he wanted everything that that guy had. He yep. did. And he couldn't fully be in love with him because he could not get behind the fact that Felix did nothing and was set for life. He just couldn't get yep. behind it. Oh, like, man. So, so much yeah. so that it ta- he, he's willing to stick this out for 15 years. Yeah, to finally get what he wants. Yeah, and we can tell the time because there is media that dates this movie at the very beginning of it. Yep. Yep. Because it's, it's a great use. In, in fact, 
it's a great use of media. It is it's that take place in 2006, right? Superbad came out after that, so that was a little weird. But yeah, Superbad was 2008, wasn't it? Sure was, yeah. 2007. Like, even, so that makes sense. That was yeah. the summer of 2007. Yeah. And like, if you listen to the music that's being played and stuff in this movie, like you really get an idea of exactly when this is taking place. And then you get that time skip at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's crazy. And and the, the fact that they end this with murder on the dance floor. Yeah. While he's dancing around the house naked. So for anybody who isn't familiar with, I had never heard murder on the dance floor, but I'll tell you what, yeah. it's, it might make my top hundred next year because that scene <laughs> just makes that song. Um, but it has a writing credit with Greg Alexander. John, do you know who Greg Alexander is? You might not even know anything about him. Uh, not off the top of my head, no. Okay, so Greg Alexander has been nominated for Oscars. He did Begin Again and all of that. But Greg okay. Alexander was the the main guy in New Radicals who did the song you get. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Which was a massive one hit wonder back in like 1998, I think it was. And if you listen to new radicals, that album, maybe you've been brainwashed too. There is not a bad song on it. It It's nothing but phenomenal. Yeah. That album's incredible, but he gets classified as a one hit wonder because you get what you give was the only hit. And then he Mm. he broke up. He got rid of new radicals, but he kept writing music and doing stuff. Okay. And this is the type of stuff he wrote. He was nominated for Begin Again with Keira Knightley and Mark Ruffalo. But this is the type of stuff he writes. Right. So to yeah. end it with Murder on the Dance Floor and and just have like this, this m- massive song. I mean, it's just incredible. And have him dancing around naked is just perfect. Um, so, yeah, I mean, here's, here's, here, here's how I'll look at this. Barry Cogan, I think, is the best performance of the year from a male. Wow. Rosamund Pike. Should win Best Supporting Actress. Won't even be nominated. I think she's better than um, uh, was it Devon Rand- Randolph Joy. Devon Joy Randolph. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but she's better than her. I think that Richard E. Grant not being even in the discussion is criminal. Richard E. Grant is incredible in this movie as, mm-hmm. as the father. He is perfection. I loved yeah. him. Um, they all should be in it. And and you know what? The holdovers should win best screenplay. Saltburn should be right behind it. And Emerald Fennel should be getting the credit that Greta Gerwig is getting. It, it's it's not even sure. close. Greta Gerwig just did what the mainstream thing is. And look, I like Greta Gerwig. I really do. I got the 20th century A24 book. What a purchase yeah. that was for whoever got it for me for Christmas. I love it. I like Francis Ha. I like Little Women. I love Lady Bird. Like she earned her place, but she sold out at this point. She sold out. Mm. Barbie is not as deep as people think Barbie is. And, and that's just a fact. And great, she's going to get all the notoriety because it made a whole bunch of money and they want to reward it and everything. If you put a female in the role of Barry Kogan, I honestly think this movie is getting Best Picture nominations. I, I, I honestly believe that. I really do. I really yeah, do. That's fair. That's totally fair. I really do. Because I think it almost misses the point of by having a male play that role – it goes against what Emerald Fennel did with Promising Young Woman. If they would have right. done the same character as Carrie Mulligan, I think that this is getting nominated for Best Picture without a doubt. Interesting. I don't know. I, I it's possible. It's very possible because then because it's like into it. But I think it. I almost think you need the male character in order to hit home with the themes that you're going with this movie, right? Yeah, because I, I think. 
I think you're so focused on wealth disparity and, and like the differences between the upper and lower classes in this movie that mm-hmm. having a female lead there almost detracts from it because people will focus more on the fact. And, and like, this is not saying that this is, it's a bad thing, but people will focus more on the fact that the character is a f- woman than mm-hmm. a low income person who is like, what, what do they call him? A scholarship kid at one point? A scholarship kid, yeah. He's a scholarship kid. Like, like that's the that's yeah. the point of the movie. And I don't I don't know. It, it's a good question. Does it get the nom? Uh we don't live in that world. Instead, we live in a world where we actually got this movie. And, and we got the right movie. Yeah. I, I think it's and, the right movie. I think I think it's the right decisions. I just think we talk about it a lot when we talk about these uh Marvel movies. Sometimes yeah. Like who they throw up, they're throwing up to be like, oh look, we have a female director directing a Marvel movie. Yeah. Oh look, we have this. It's almost like Emerald Fennel like betrayed trust by not following mm. up Promising Young Woman with another strong female-led movie. And right. I think this is infinitely better than Promising Young Woman. I mean, honestly, yeah, this is a powerhouse of a movie. This is incredible direction, incredible writing, incredible acting. I mean, I mean, how do you how do you feel about that? We don't have that much more time, but also we can talk about this movie longer than we can talk about Spider-Man yeah. Far From Home because this movie's a banger and Spider-Man Far From Home <laughs> isn't. Um what what are you, what are your opinion on like all those Oscar noms and stuff I was talking about? Like, did you feel the same way? I mean, obviously supporting actor is loaded this year, but yeah. how do you feel about the performances and everything in this movie? Uh, I, I mean, I already said it. Barry Coogan is just the most underrated actor we have right now at this point. Mm-hmm. His performances are just so solid over and over again. And the fact that there's not even talk of him being nominated is ridiculous. Rosamund Pike, her performance is a lot more subtle, which, I mean, I guess the Academy likes that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's so strong. And you're just like, you're bought into everything she is giving on in the screen, right? Like, every single thing she does just feels like, yes, this is exactly what this character is you almost forget you're watching rosamund pike who is actually just such a recognizable face at this point yeah yeah i also appreciated that she was talking about a uh, pulp at one point and how she was dating jarvis that made me laugh really yeah. hard they thought common people was about her that made me happy um i'm just surprised that fact- go ahead so i was gonna say how about the fact that farley is the same guy who was in gran turismo Dude, okay, that's why I recognized him. Yeah, and that just proves how bad the Gran Turismo script was. My God. Yeah. Because he acts in this movie, and you can feel what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah, he's great in this. No, and, and, like, that's what, like, Rosamund Pike is kind of an Oscar darling. She's kind of a, Mm -hmm. she's kind of like a, a, people really, really like her. So yeah. she did end up getting a supporting actress role, a nomination for Golden Globes. I don't know if that will hold out, but mm. she did get the nomination. Now, granted, there were six nominations for the Globes this year. I don't know why they went from five to six. But Naveen Joy Randolph, if she wins, I'm totally fine with that. I mean, she's absolutely phenomenal. I just hope Rosamund Pike gets the nomination at this point. She's she's mm-hmm. perfect in this movie. She is so good. So good. Mm-hmm. It, um, it's just like there, there's all these little moments of Rosamund Pike in this movie where she's talking about uh, poor Pamela, right? Poor, sad Pamela, which I think is actually the credited name. That is. Poor dear Pamela. Place. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, and you can you see the care, and then you see that you know that moment where she's like sitting outside, and um, Ollie comes up and asks where Pamela is, and she's like, "Yeah, you know what? Her stay got a little long." And it's just like, "Whoa, yeah." The that that's why there's this malice towards this upper class in this film. It's because of moments like this where they put on the front. But they're still just people, and they get irritated just like the rest mm-hmm. of us. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. It's it's you know they try to pretend like they're hospitable, but in reality, they could give two shits that you're there. They want you out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. You have anything else you want to say about this movie? We should probably move on, even if it breaks my heart too. Barry Coogan's penis is the best Chekhov's gun we have gotten in a movie in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> since since Boogie I- Nights. Yeah, well, because like we, yeah, exactly. Since Boogie Nights, right? Because there's the scene in the meadow where, like, oh, that's a surprise, and it's like you're not even going to show us, and then mm-hmm. we actually get it, and it's like felt really satisfying. Yeah, it did. It did. Good for Barry Cogan, man. Way yeah. to go. Um, okay. So today, before we jump into our next movie, today was actually a big day for us. Our first five dollar oh. Tuesday. Uh, mean mm-hmm. Girls dropped on the Patreon. So if you want to be a patron, patreon.com slash a specialist. It's right there at the bottom of the screen. If you're watching on YouTube, it's hard to miss. I'm running my mouse over it right now. It's right here. Um, if you're listening, patreon.com slash the specialist. $5 Tuesday is a new uh, weekly show that is on the uh, is available for patrons where John and I are discussing a movie, um, kind of similar to how we discuss it here, but because we're discussing movies that are a little bit older, uh, celebrating huge anniversaries this year. We talk about kind of their cultural impact and how they've how they've aged and and you know all that fun stuff. So we did our first one, Mean Girls, which is 20 years old mm-hmm. this year, and um, also has a movie coming out on January 12th. So if you want to become a patron, Patreon.com/slash The Specialist. That's for our five dollar tier. So consider getting involved there. Once these Oscar nominations come out in three weeks, we will also be doing a Best Picture breakdown. But that's for ten dollar patrons. Um, obviously that would be kind of like a month thing. So you could just up yourself for a month so you can get all the best picture stuff right before the Oscars. And then you can drop back down to five. If you're just a movie person, if you're, if you're a survivor person too, you should want to go over there and check out that stuff. The mean girls episode will drop on YouTube next week. So if you're not completely sold right now, you can wait, see what it's like on Tuesday. And also next Tuesday, we'll also have had our second episode drop, which is the Terminator, right? Was the Terminator second? No, it's the Mummy. It's the Mummy. The, the Mummy was second. The Terminator was third. So I'm getting ahead of myself. But yes, the Mummy will be dropping next week for the patrons. So if you're into those movies, if you haven't seen them in a while, if you just want to hear me and John continue to talk about movies, become a patron. Patreon.com slash The Specialist. Um, you know, I, I'm never going to be the guy who says, oh, it's barely. It's I, I understand that it's money. Otherwise, I wouldn't be saying, hey, go become a patron. But we're really putting the effort and the work in over there. And um we, we really hope that you guys are appreciative of it. And, um, you know, it's a great way to help kind of make it so that we can keep doing these podcasts all, all the time because we love doing it, but it's obviously neither of our main gigs, although I'm going to fight like hell until it is. So <laughs> yeah, that's it. Patreon.com slash patreon.com slash the specialists. Go listen to us talk about mean girls and, uh, Join the Discord because the Discord, you can now have a conversation about Mean Girls. Who would have thought? John, I, I I can't believe you didn't respond to Alex Trios yet. I can't at respond because I was at Trivia hosting a trivia. But he said, I can't believe Mean Girls is 20 years old already. And you didn't respond. We finally are having movie conversations. I'm sorry. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Don't worry. It's coming. 
I, okay. I just had to process exactly how I wanted to respond to that. And yeah. It just made me feel really old. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. Um, speaking of things that make me feel really old, Marissa Tomei has aged so good. It's crazy. Uh, Spider-Man Far yes. From Home. Here we are. Uh, so, okay. Is it fair? Let me, let, me, let me start with this question, and I'll let okay. you decide. You can answer it. Is it fair to drop a movie a full half star because of a scene that happens after the credits? I'm assuming you're talking about the second one and not the first one. I just want to know, is it fair? <sighs> no. Well, I dropped this movie a half star I because of the did. scene after the credits. It was the it was the second one after the credits, right? It's horrible. Why is it there? Why is it there? Okay, I can. Why it's there? I don't know if I can justify, but I do think it enhances this movie, and I'll get into it when we get to it. But this one surprised me, Phil, because I've kind of been low on this one for a while. When I this is one of the we, we're getting to a few of the MCU movies I've watched and rated on Letterboxd previously now because uh, I rewatched okay. all the Spider-Man movies when the last one came out and everything. I gave this a two star the last time I watched it. And I, I was like, this is a three star. Like this is a like solid MCU movie. And maybe it's just because, you know, what we've watched recently, or maybe it's just because, you know, we've been doing this for so long now and we just keep going all over and over again. This just felt like a breath of fresh air for the MCU again. Yeah. So here's how I felt about this one. I was very entertained mm -hmm. pretty much the whole time. And, yeah. and what I really appreciate about this movie was how quick it jumped around between all the things that were going on. So this actually will be my number eight. I'll put it above Ant-Man. This will be my number eight. Um, because it was it was close to a three-star. There were there were a couple things here that that dropped it from three stars because I was entertained for most of the movie. I actually like Zendaya, and I know what Zendaya and Tom Holland are dating in real life, right? I don't keep up on the celeb gossip, but they're dating in real life. They were at some point. I don't know if they, they still are, but they were at some yeah, point. Yeah, they were at some point. I don't know. Somebody, somebody in the chat. I mean, this is where if my wife was listening, she'd jump in and be like, No, you idiot, or yes, of course. But the thing is. They have great chemistry, and that yeah. really elevates this movie because I'm not used to seeing great chemistry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. However, here's my big knocks on this movie. Okay. Number one, they're asking a lot of you in terms of your willing suspension of disbelief when it comes to the uh, the illusion of this movie. Phil, Phil, yeah, we just watched a movie where they went back in time and they broke all the time travel movies. Asking us to believe about a projector doesn't seem that far-fetched. Well, and also, though, John, that movie where they went back in time and they asked us to believe all that stuff got exactly two stars for me. So I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, but but like for me, it was kind of like I enjoyed it, but it did. It was hard for me to wrap my mind around like, wait, that's a little extreme. And like the stuff that they're flying into that Israel, why is it not actually being impacted? And, you know, like all those little nitpicky things. Yeah. So, Again, that, that drops us down. That drops it down to like three stars, pretty much for me. Or let's okay. say instead of being four stars, it goes down to three and a half because of that. Second, so we just talked about Saltburn, and I'm telling you, man, every line of dialogue in that movie had me ready to like. I was like, oh my god, what are they going to respond yeah. to? How are they going to say this? You know, what what's going to happen? 
what I have really noticed now that we've watched 20, uh, 23 of these, 23, what I've really noticed with this is the action sequences are all the same. And yes. no matter how much fun they try to be or anything, I start dozing during the action. My internet totally cut out. Okay, hold on. Okay. Am I here now? That was you, though, not me. So that's okay. That yeah. was me. That was me. What was the last thing you heard from me? Dozing. Okay, I start dozing. Okay, cool. So you didn't really actually miss much. I can't stay awake during the fight scenes because yeah. once that sound starts happening in the flashing lights, I don't know what it is, but it's like, it's like, it's like hypnosis for me. And, right. and I was talking about this with, with some people and I was saying what kind of shocks me with these, these Marvel movies is like when, when the Lord of the Rings movies are coming out, what is the defining moment of Amon head? What would Sorry. you say? The defining moment? Yeah, like what's the defining moment of a Monhan? Or name like a, a memorable moment of a Monhan. A Monhan is the end of Fellowship, right? Oh, do you not know that? Oh, yeah. So I play the video games and it's always labeled a Monhan. So when you play right. that... Yeah, yeah. It's, been, it's yeah, just been a while. Yeah. Yeah. I... Uh... It's what Boromir sacrifice, Frodo putting the ring on, running away, like Frodo Sam going off um, across yeah. the river. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So okay. So that's 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 one. Okay. What's the big moment in the Mines of Moria? It's the Bridge of Casa Doom. Okay. What is the big? What is the moment that everybody remembers from the Battle of Helm's Deep? Um. Is it? Uh, Theoden as the rain starts pouring on his face. No, it's Gandalf yeah. coming over the hill, obviously. It, Gandalf coming over the hill, but but think smaller in terms of, there's a reason I'm doing this. Think smaller in terms of Lord of the Rings. Like, what is the cool thing that happens at Helm's Deep that everybody always remembers, and you probably tried to do it in your house at one point? Oh, is it Legolas on the shield on the stairs? Legolas on the shield on the stairs, shooting arrows and then stabbing the guy with the thing, pulling out his knife and stabbing yeah. the guy behind him. Yeah. Okay. And then when you get into Return of the King, it's a little bit harder to find them, but they have the they have the battle in the field where they go up the elephant and then he slides down and he yeah. lands in front of Gimli and he says that still counts as one. And and like that's an epic moment. What I've noticed with these movies is these Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they're great. I'm I'm comparing it to the Lord of the Rings, which are the greatest action adventure <laughs> movies ever made. So maybe that's yeah. a little unfair. There's nothing unique about the fights. Ant-Man has a very unique final battle. Very unique. That's the only one I can think of. Spider-Man gets in this fight and it's the same beats every time. It's the super over-choreographed fight sequence where everybody is doing their, their hoo-ha-hoo-has and... That's it. That's the whole entire thing. It's flashing lights. It's buildings crumbling. It's cars being thrown. It's I'm going to save the day doing this. Yes, this has the cool added element of the projectors. But in terms of actual fighting that is going on, there is nothing different about what Spider-Man does in this movie than he does in any other movie or any Marvel hero does when they're fighting. Yeah. They're not elevating the game. 
when they mm-hmm. do these sequences. Instead, they're happening because they have to happen. And I understand yeah. in these kinds of movies, they have to happen. They have to. And I'm not, I'm not going to knock this movie for that. But do it in a unique and exciting way. Why is it the same exact thing every time? So that drops at a half star. And then yeah. the fact that green balls face comes back into the movie, just, I mean, that, that could have dropped it down to one and a half stars and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't feel guilty. About oh, it. oh, you're talking about the scrolls. I, scroll. I couldn't remember who green balls face was. I'm but... sorry, because this movie's already been about Saltburn. Yes. The scrotums. That is who yeah. I'm talking. About. Yeah. Okay. Like I get that. I, I've grown to appreciate the scroll reveal at the end of this movie a lot more on repeat watches because you pay more attention to the way Samuel L. Jackson is playing Nick Fury, who's actually not Nick Fury, and is someone pretending to be Nick Fury. So you have Samuel L. Jackson acting as someone acting as Samuel L. Jackson, and he has a really phenomenal job at it because it that feels off. Point. Nick Fury feels off in this movie. Maria Hill feels off in this movie. Mm-hmm. And you get this reveal at the end. And it's like, that's why they felt off. I understand that. What's the point of it? I don't know. It hasn't really come to fruition. However, it makes me really appreciate what Samuel L. Jackson and Colby Smothers are doing in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like a lot more. Yeah. And it explains how they get duped, right? Because... Nick Fury shouldn't be duped by this story. No matter what's going on. When has Nick Fury ever not been super skeptical about everything that's been happening around him? That's a good point. That is a good, and they even say at one point in this, like he's the most skeptical guy I've ever met and I've got, we've convinced him. Yeah. Like they, like even the bad guys know that this is too easy, mm-hmm. but no one can make that connection because no one knows shape-shifting aliens exist. But I guess what my my big problem is then, like, why would Nick Fury stay on vacation as the entire world is falling apart? You know, he's like, on why would he he's, on a, he's he's on a space station, like doing space stuff. Yeah. Boom. Eventually, we see him on that space station. I promise. They yeah, I mean, look, it. look, I get it. I really do. Like, honestly, you've you've convinced yeah. me a little bit on that. I just hate the scrolls. I hate their design. I know you do. I look. I love Ben Mendelsohn, and that's what bothers me. I think they're I think they're too goofy. Um, J. Jonah Jameson, however, let's go. Ooh. I'm all in for that. Why is he not so much more prominent in these movies? Although that was a phenomenal reveal at the end there. I mean, that's just that's just the best right there. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what everyone's been clamoring for since the Sam Raimi Spider-Man's. Everyone talks about J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson is one of the all-time best castings in comic book movie history. So to finally have him back on our screen in this new, you know, InfoWars type role that makes more sense for the time mm-hmm. of this film. Like, it's the adaptation of this character to today's world. And it's fantastic to see it. Yeah. Yeah, and this is the second time he appears because he does appear at the end of Homecoming. Does he? Yeah, he's in. He appears at the very end of one of them because I even made reference to it in this podcast where I was like, I'm just happy that he showed up. Oh, I don't remember that. But yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's at the end of Homecoming. But yeah, I mean, this is the end credits. We should probably talk about the rest of this because there's a lot in this that I actually really enjoyed. And a lot of it stems from now, 
a lot of this stems from me not thinking of this as the final movie in phase three and of the first movie of phase four. I think it works mm-hmm. much better as the start of a new phase than the end of the previous phase. And I understand the decision to make this the end of the phase. You're kind of like capping off this whole Iron Man story that you started with Peter. But what I really appreciated with this and the way that Tom Holland performs it, we finally get Peter Parker and Spider-Man in this movie, which we didn't really get in Homecoming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with that. I do agree with that. Like We get this moment of him becoming his own. And yes, it's kind of overshadowed by this legacy of Iron Man that Peter's trying to live up to and everything, this legacy of Tony. But I think it's perfectly encapsulated in this moment when after Happy's picked him up in the Netherlands and they're on the plane and he starts making the suit and Happy just like, like John Favreau looks at him and gives that like little smirk. And it's not a smirk of you remind me of Tony. It's a, this is why Tony chose you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I did appreciate those little moments and that's why like this probably, this is closer to a three than a two for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's right on the cusp of being a three-star movie. I had rewatched it or I'd watched it before you had rewatched it. So when I saw your review of two, I was honestly a little surprised. And I was like, Oh, here comes John just coming to be negative Nancy again. Um, But it's just, it's a fun movie. It is a fun movie. And, and maybe I'm being too hard on it and maybe it really is a movie that, that I should have just given the extra half star and just sucked it up and, and admitted that it's pretty good. Um, I have it as the highest ranked of the Spider-Man movies thus far. I mean, I know there's mm-hmm. only me too. I have it. I have it at number. It's number seven in my MCU rankings right now. So I have it in the same area as you do. But I, I higher than Spider-Man. Homecoming is definitely closer to two. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I just, I just think they did a good job for the most part with the with the characters i mean the characters are really what the best part of this movie yeah. is and it, and it feels believable and like even like the betty brant and and the sidekick guy like that's fun to watch jake gyllenhaal is a great villain he's always a great villain yeah. but he's a great villain i like the teachers jb smooth is one of them i like that they're in over their head i like that this takes place in in europe so it's it's more isolated it's 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 a fun movie it really it really is and and mm-hmm. um i don't know like like Spider-Man, Ant-Man, Captain America. So far, those are the only characters in this universe that I really care about. I like Guardians of the Galaxy, but Guardians of the Galaxy is so, like, tertiary to everything else going on that I don't really care. Um, A tangential, thank you, that's the word. I knew it was a T word. It's so (laughs) tangential to everything that's going on. It it just doesn't matter to me. But, like, when a Spider-Man movie comes up, I get pumped for that. And and yep. I was I was into this movie, but I can't give this movie more than three stars when I'm dozing through 25 minutes of nonsensical fight scenes because they're just going through the motions at this point. They're not trying to elevate the game. And that's the biggest problem we kind of have with the MCU at this point is it's this idea of the repeated we're about to enter phase four where we really have a third act problem in the MCU. And I think it really, it, it, like you said, it's just all of these fights are the same. How is the fight with the water elemental different than the fire elemental in this? Yeah, they're not. Right? Like, it's the exact same thing. 
yes, like the last fight's slightly different because Peter knows what he needs to do. I think the better like action sequence in this is the whole, and it, it's really funny to say this because we shit on the CGI and MCU movies so much. It has almost never been used better than in this like Mysterio confusing segment that happens in Berlin. Totally agree. Totally agree. It looks so clean. It is yeah. so clean looking. I was very impressed with that. I totally agree with you. And, and it's so weird. And I even noticed, even like through these action sequences, it didn't feel as much like this is a soundstage in front of a green screen. It felt mm -hmm. like there were actual sets being used in this movie. Which, which is, is something what's funny because he's actually creating all of this on a soundstage. So why does it look so much better yeah. than having other stuff? I don't know. Maybe they just like took it to heart. Maybe, maybe I bet Disney put a lot more effort into this movie because they were scared of what would happen after Endgame. That's true. That's they true. needed this movie to look good, to feel good. And <laughs> it's just where we're at. And the fact and that this we was, get this was the highest grossing, right? This this was the movie worldwide that did the best, right? No, no, that was the one that came after this. The Spider-Man after this. I'm pretty sure. What was the Spider-Man after this? Oh, No uh, Way Home. No yeah, Way yeah, Home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's weird because they all have stupid home names. But Yeah, it makes them impossible to differentiate. Um, yes. <laughs> let me say Spider-Man, No Way Home. I'm going to Google that. Um, yeah, that but was $1.9 billion worldwide. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot of money. And Far From Home made... 1.1 billion so still not shabby but no way home was the big like we're back baby and especially after 800 million is still a very large difference <laughs> yeah yeah i mean this was the we're back uh, from covid we're back from yeah. covid so this is what we do uh but i i you talked about the ned and betty relationship it's the perfect comedic relief for this movie which is funny. It's weird. Also, um, Angoria Rice, who plays Betty Brandt, is playing Katie Heron in the upcoming Mean Girls movie that releases yeah, next week. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm kind of excited because she plays this role in such a straight and narrow way. And it's that the juxtaposition between the two characters that makes this summer fling work so well and is so entertaining watching because it's also it's so high school right to be like completely into this person after a nine-hour plane ride yeah strictly because you shared space with them yeah it's so high school and again that's kind of what homecoming was missing despite the mm -hmm. fact that it's set in high school it didn't feel like a high school movie whereas this really captured the essence of peter parker in high school despite the fact that he's in europe and it's the summer vacation yeah. Yeah, oh, I agree. It had actual high school relationships and you had teachers and you had things going on rather than just, yeah, sure, you, you can blow that off. It's not a big deal. Yeah. I will say there is one thing that, that kind of bugs me about this movie as our like first post-blip movie. We don't really explore the feelings of people who got blipped versus people who didn't get blipped. Yeah, it's kind of just like, oh, they're back and they're the same age while everybody else is five years older. And that's that's really it. 
That's really yeah. Because the this explanation no. determined how it would end. Yeah, exactly. Now I have to go watch the final episode of The Leftovers. Thanks, John. Well, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. It's just, you know, that's what I now have to do with my time moving forward. Um, yeah. Jason Obermeyer said at the end, I'll ask my big, my three big questions I've been saving. Throw them in. Let's go. Let's go. You got like four minutes. Throw them on in. We're sitting here. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Uh, John, we didn't talk about what movie yeah. we're going to do next week. Obviously, it's Black Widow. No, we didn't. We did not talk about what movie we're going to do next week. And nope. my theater is not telling me. Okay, so on. Yeah, I'm not being told what to expect on Friday. Uh, I know Night Swim will still be playing. Well, that's new this weekend. Um, the Color Purple, Ferrari, Boys in the Boat. I have Migration, The Iron Claw, Aquaman 2, Anyone But You. Wish at 11.20 a.m. on Thursday. Um, um, yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, or we could just do a movie that's on. I don't know. Um, we always said we were going to do the killer. Is that still something worth doing? We did. We should probably do that, right? Let's just do the. Oh no! I think I think Phil froze again. Killer. We haven't done the killer. In- yeah. I gotta clear my. I gotta clear my cookies again. Yeah, I got to clear my – I don't know what's going on with my computer. It's just – Okay. It was working so well. So we well agree on the killer, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we agree on the killer. We'll do the okay. killer. All right, what are your thoughts on the MCU, pros and cons, both itself in relation to Hollywood and the entertainment industry? John, you have like three minutes to answer these questions. So don't Whoa, these are um, – okay. Obviously, the MCU kind of brought around a resurgence of the summer blockbuster. I think that's a pro and a negative. I think – the summer blockbuster kind of had this vacuum after the Star Wars prequel trilogy ended. Mm-hmm. And when the MCU kind of revitalized it, it kind of gave theaters this time to release these big budget movies when everyone's expecting them. And But that takes us to the cons of the MCU. They forgot about summer blockbusters and just decided they could release these movies at any time. And mm-hmm. it kind of overshadowed so many movies that came out because everyone's going to there. But the MCU also really revitalized theaters in general. Yeah. Like, theaters could remain open because so many people were going to these movies all of the time. Yeah, and, like, that's where, you know, I think that the MCU is great from the the perspective of you need to have blockbusters, otherwise film's not going to survive. You need to have blockbusters. You do. I think where it's bad is that the studios and everything got so complacent. There was no originality anymore. It was, we can guarantee that this is going to come out. So we'll just have it come out. And unless your name is Christopher Nolan, you're nobody's going to make a blockbuster. Anybody's going to give a crap about. And that was, that was really the biggest downfall when it came Mm -hmm. to this, this whole cinematic universe. Um, the, The, the film industry would be alive without the MCU. I think right now we're seeing the repercussions of how successful the MCU was. I think we're officially at a point where the MCU got so big that now we're starting to see the backlash when people don't like MCU movies anymore or when they're tired of them or when they don't want it coming anymore. That is what the issue is. 
you've lost a lot of independent film. We're finally starting to get it back. It seems like people are starting ready are ready to make more or ready to make more moves. I also think though, that it, it took a lot of creativity and I think ultimately it ruined a lot of classic stories. These comic books mm-hmm. are classic and I think none of them are going to end on high notes. I think it's just yeah. at the point where it's just going to be run into the ground and it's going to die when it dies. And that's all there is to it. And so in terms of the MCU, like, yeah, it's great because it made a bunch of people a lot of money and it really showed the power of a blockbuster and like, you know, that helped, but people became too reliant on it and there's just nothing there. There's no depth to it, no matter how much you want to try to convince yourself there is. I think we're kind of finally at a point where because of the MCU kind of collapsing or like petering off, whatever you want to call it at this point, when the MCU was at its height, people were signing six, seven, nine movie deals. Mm-hmm. And if you look at some of these MCU actors, uh, Elizabeth Olsen's talking about, it, don't do it. Don't sign multi-movie deals because it locks you in too long. And you don't get to do anything else. It mm-hmm. kind of feels like, um, maybe I'm getting too Canadian with this, but it feels a lot like when the NHL finally like introduced the salary cap and you started seeing people kind of like circumventing the net cap by making these long like 12, 15 year deals. And then they had to shorten how long those deals could be because of mm-hmm. like the repercussions of what that was doing to not only players, but teams and revenues and stuff. I think we're at a point where what the MCU accomplished over the last 15 years is quite impressive. And it's provided an opportunity for filmmakers, actors, and even studios to really learn the furthest extent of how far we can pull something like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then the second question he asked was how will the MCU be remembered in years to come? It's legacy. This one I can answer pretty quickly. I think over the next 10 years, it'll be fine. I think people will start to get tired of it. They'll look back. They'll say, oh, I miss Iron Man. I miss this. I miss that. I think in 20 years when John and I are old men still doing this podcast, I think that is when people will look back and say, those weren't actually that good. And I think we see that a lot. Like, they're not timeless. That's the biggest issue. You know, like, a lot of movies are timeless. A movie like Alien is timeless because it's using real sets and and the face hugger. I don't know what the hell they did, but it worked. These movies aren't timeless. And so I think that it'll be remembered fondly by people who love the movies. I think there's always going to be a market for Marvel. But this is not going to be some, it's going to be remembered as an oversaturated thing that started good and was eventually ruined. And then people are going to say, well, just go watch the first three phases. And a lot of people are going to watch the first three phases and say, it's not that good either. Yeah. Um, just think of it this way. Like how many summer blockbusters do we actually talk about 20 years later? Yeah. Right. Like it doesn't happen that often. We're at a point now where Marvel has become Friday the 13th with how many movies they're turning out, right? The fact that the fact that we haven't had a direct-to-streaming Marvel movie yet is just Disney holding on. I guess we did. I guess Black Widow kind of went direct-to-streaming. Kind of, yeah. Because it really had to. Uh, yeah, because of, like, circumstances and stuff. But because we haven't had one, like, specifically made for streaming outside of the TV shows... Like, that's the moment where you know the MCU is no longer tenable, and that's the moment where people are going to start 
they'll change their mind about how they feel about the beginning of it, not just the end of it. People have a hard time understanding when they're living through something that it will be viewed more negatively or more positively in the future, no matter what. Yeah. Citizen Kane wasn't loved in 1941, and yet now it is considered the greatest or one of the greatest movies of all time. And I always say that, you know, it's it's the same thing as like why I don't talk about – I try not to talk about movies of like the time that they were made because if you go back and you watch a movie from 1994, it was a different time than 2024 is. And we can sit here and we can say, oh, well, we're better now. But in 30 years, people are going to look at us and say, you guys were idiots. Like that that's just yeah. how it is. Like I hate to be like that. Yeah. I don't want to make you all feel like everything is worthless because it's not. But – there is that there is a lot to be said for every generation looks at past generations and says, man, they did that, man, they did that. I mean, something like Disney world is looked at Mm -hmm. negatively by so many people in our generation and the generation below us because of how capitalist it is and things like that. That is something like it doesn't matter what you make. It doesn't matter what the intention is. It doesn't matter what you do. Future generations are going to look back and say, man, that's that's not as good. They didn't say what they thought. Mm -hmm. And I think people who live through it have a hard time with that. They don't like they don't understand. We can't know because we're not 30 years from now. Yeah. How how hard is it to convince people to watch movies that are pre-80s now? Yeah. Right. Like that's inevitably going to happen to these MCU movies. Yes. They are going to be so far in the past. People aren't going to revisit them just on principle and not on yeah. whether or not they enjoy them. Yeah. I mean, we rewatched the Terminator for, uh, for our, our Patreon podcast and like it's eighties, man. Like it's so eighties yeah. and like, I get it. But if I, if I had a kid and I showed him that movie in 15 years, would he like it? I don't know. By that point, it's yeah, 55 years old. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then the last question from Jason was, what movies do you overall enjoy, want to own, and go back to? I would never own any of the MCU movies. Um, my wife does actually own a, quite a bit, and she she let, I let them in our house. Um, but the Captain America movies are the only ones that that I honestly would like revisit over and over again. That's that's really it. Like I, I don't know if I'd rewatch any of these movies again other than the Captain Americas and maybe the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. That's really it. I own all the first three phases of the MCU already. Uh, that was part of, I was part of the... Remember when the Disney had, like, the Disney movie club? Yeah. Like, every month you got a movie? Yep. There was a lot of MCU movies for a long time on that, in Not that sure. program. Yeah. But, so so I own a lot of them. I don't know if go. I've ever put I don't know if I've ever put one into my Blu-ray player to watch though. Yeah, and that's the other problem is now with Disney Plus, we don't need to put them into the Blu-ray player. Yeah. You know, so it's I, like, haven't, I, I haven't put them, them in the Blu-ray player for this podcast yet. Because I just use Disney Plus instead. Yeah, because Disney Plus just has it all. So what's the point? Yeah. Except for the Spider-Man movie. Do they have the Spider-Man movie down there? Because they didn't have it up here. It's still on Netflix up here. No, we have everything down here. Disney has Disney has the rights to everything down here. Interesting. I'd yeah, you can't Netflix. you can't do any Disney. Disney has all their stuff down here. 
The only thing that Disney doesn't have is the theme park. They can't make Universal get rid of their theme park. Um, oh, like Hulkins, like the the ride. Yeah, they stuff. have the Hulk and the Amazing Spider Man and all that stuff. They can't make right. them get rid of that. That's the only thing that Disney doesn't have. But in terms of movies, they have everything. So, but yeah, I, the, I don't know. I think the MCU is going to be a fascinating thing to look back on thirty years from now. Totally agree. I do agree. But if I don't go to bed, I'm going to be in trouble. So I'm out. Thank you all for yeah. listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Um, Jason Obermeyer, thanks, guys, for the great journey. Get ready for phase four and five where the MCU becomes the DCEU. Phil, you think it's rough? Get ready. Um, I'm ready to go. Hey, we're in the home stretch. Like I I compared we it are. to running yeah. when I used to train for, for 5Ks and 10Ks and things like that. If you had a day where you had to run six repeat miles, the first one was always the hardest one. You're in the you're you're the you're the red you're the most ready and everything, but you realize, man, I still have five more. By the time you get to the fourth one, you're so exhausted, you're just like, I've already done it three times. I can do it three yeah. more. That's how I feel right now. I only got to do it eleven more times or whatever it is. It might not be, be fun, fun, but it'll be, it'll be done. Good conversation. Yeah. Good but thank you all so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Next week, as we said, we're gonna do the killer from Netflix because we put it off long enough. So we won't start with a 2024 movie. Our first 2024 movie will be mean girls, the musical. There's no way we're not going to watch that, especially since yep. we put out the Patreon episode. Um, and we'll be doing black widow. Consider becoming a patron, patreon.com slash the specialist. Um, we're putting out a whole bunch of the movie content. It'll be once a week, every Tuesday, every single Tuesday, there will be a new episode. Um, there's not many Patreons on the internet where you're going to get an episode every week. So if you're, if you enjoy hearing us talk, if you think it's fun there, we're going to talk about just bigger movies. Like we try, we're trying to talk about like movies that are are relevant that you've heard of that you Mm -hmm. want to see. And if you haven't seen, you probably should see. So consider becoming a patron. You'd also get access to the Q and a and the discord. And thank you all so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed yourselves and we will see you next week. What? It won't end. It's saying I'm logged out. John, end it. Hi, everyone.